This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 167 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Georgia State basketball has hit another rock bottom in a disappointing season, falling to last place in the Sun Belt after an 0-2 week on the road. We'll break down the losses and highlight the seating implications of this week's final regular season games, and we'll also look at an eventful opening weekend for baseball. But first, let's talk about basketball. As we said, an 0-2 road trip with a 77-68 loss to Coastal Carolina on Thursday and a 75-70 loss to Arkansas State on Saturday. The results leave Georgia State 10-18 on the season and 3-13 in the Sun Belt, good for last place in the conference. They're level with Arkansas State on wins and losses, but the Red Wolves hold the tiebreaker and are in the driver's seat to avoid the dreaded distinction of finishing 14th out of 14. So gentlemen, lots to discuss. What you got? I mean, bad week. You had to at least get one of these and didn't get it done. And there was another, I mean, both of them were right there. Uh, the Coastal game a little bit less so because Coastal was up by double digits at the half. So George State had to kind of claw back and they could never get that deficit close enough to where it was really within striking distance. But only lost by nine in the end shows it wasn't like that much of a game that you were out of. And Arkansas State game, they led for a good part of the first stretch of that second half. And just couldn't close it out. And, you know, you look up and down the schedule this year. The Mercer game right at the beginning of the year was kind of a 50-50 coin toss game at the end that they found a way to win. Uh, the UNC Asheville game, similarly, although they were, I think, leading most of the way there. The Southern game, 50-50 down the stretch, they found a way to win. Every other game that's been close, and there's been a few of them, they've lost. And that's kind of where we're at. It's been a team that's been unable to find enough plays in these close games, and it doomed them again this week with two more losses. A slightly different take, um, only because Georgia State was down three to Coastal with 14 minutes left. So, like, yeah, they were down by double digits at the half, um, they came out firing in the second half and Coastal couldn't do anything. And obviously that wasn't going to last as we saw. Um, but from that moment where it was 37, 34, the rest of the way Coastal scored 40 points. Um, and you know what? Like that's, that's tough. That's really tough to defend upon. Um, that's really tough to, uh, it's I will re- say, I will say, some of that was the free throw game at the end. The the points got a little bit inflated down the stretch for coasters because they were playing like Jonas does play the free throw game all the way to the bitter end. Is the one one of the things we've learned about him? He really does, and you know you're right. I just I don't know. Like I really felt like Georgia State got that game back to okay, this is an even game, and then you know they were from that point on. They were six points worse than Coastal. So that's, you know, where your final score ended up being. They lost by nine, but I don't know, man. It, it, I don't have any grand observations from the week in basketball. Like you said, it was just a bad week. Um, I won't go as far to say that it was a disastrous week because, you know, maybe this isn't just a strong team. Like that's, that is perfectly acceptable a take to have. Um, but it just it just wasn't a good week. It wasn't enough. And, you know, time and time again, uh, if you put yourself in positions to let games be 50-50 games, 
if you're not winning them, you're unlucky. If you are winning them, you are lucky, but good teams don't put themselves in positions to be here. So. Yeah. And you know, Evan Johnson was, did not play. Jamal Kleiss and Joe Jones also did not make the trip. And then against Arkansas state, Jaheim Hudson was not available. He was a game time decision ended up not being able to go. And I say all that to mention just the reality of the roster situation this week, but you know, for better or for worse, I don't really know that it made a difference because partly the good in that is that I thought Caleb Scott had a really good week in the minutes that he came in and played uh, 12 points in 18 minutes against coastal. And then he followed it up with 11 points and uh, got 27 minutes because Jaheim was out uh, against Arkansas state. And, you know, as we project out like who's staying, who's going and, I think we're going to have some of those conversations going on soon because, you know, Jonas has an offer out to a junior college guard information we've got from friend and guest of the pod, Ben Moore. And the point that he has made and just the point that you can look at that situation reading it is there's not a scholarship of currently available for that person. If they committed tomorrow, right now there isn't a scholarship available. Hence, there's at least going to be one of those conversations coming up soon because they wouldn't put an offer out to a guy if he wasn't going to be able to commit to it. Caleb Scott, I think, had a week where you look at the way things are going, the way the team has just not been playing all that well. He gave you everything that you could ask for in a kind of an unexpected spurt where he wasn't playing these type of minutes recently. I don't know going into next year if his role is going to expand. It just seems like a guy that he can't really crack into the big rotation. But I do think that right now, if he wants to stay, he just earned his spot for next year because I think it was a, a heck of a week for a guy coming in, playing hard, and, you know, in, in 0 and 2 weeks that leave you last in the conference, you kind of have to reach for the positives. And I think that was one, is that you had a guy playing hard when everyone would have any reason not to right now because things haven't been going well. You're getting that type of energy. I think it was one real thing that you could take away from this week. I don't even think we need to reach that hard. Like, it's the same thing that we've been saying with, you know, Colin Moore all year. Like Caleb Scott has looked good. He kind of reminds me. Do you remember a few years ago, Josh Linder, um, the forward yeah, at Georgia for sure. State? Went I don't off think against Charleston. Exactly. I don't think Josh Linder ever materialized like this. Um, but I, I honestly feel like the way that Caleb's game has developed, he is a really solid backup big option for Georgia State. And I know, I mean, he's not the biggest, which is annoying because they do play him at the forward. Um, but I, I feel like he does a lot of really good work defensively. And, and it, it's one of those things where he gets a lot of foul calls that can go either way and has been a little bit unlucky with that. Um, but I've, I've really liked what I've seen out of Caleb Scott. You, you kind of saw it last year when he had to come in for Eliel Saseme in the uh, Gonzaga NCAA game. Like he really put a lot of effort into keeping himself in front of guys who were, you know, more objectively, more talented. One of them him. went number two in the draft. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but I really feel like I've liked what I've seen out of Caleb and I don't know how he looks with an expanded role, but I'd really like to see him return next year because if that is your, you know, your first or second big man off the bench, as long as you have good starter level production at the position, you probably have a pretty deep big man room. Yeah. And you know, that is where I go to because 
don't know, just kind of a weird week. You know, the offense actually wasn't so much the problem against Arkansas State. Uh, it's kind of the thing with the defense is it's just enough inconsistent that it's causing them problems. And there's some games where just outright is not good enough. And Arkansas State was one of those. Uh, Jonas quoted a stat at, in his post game, I think. Um, I can't find the exact quote, but Jonas, after the game, had talked about I think something like on 28 possessions in the second half, they got eight stops. I don't know that number exactly, but I don't know exactly if he's counting like trips that end in shots at the foul line also in that number, but it really was a problem that down the stretch, and even on some possessions that they played good defense, Arkansas State made some shots, but it was too easy. And you know, I think part of the reason we talk about fast starts is that sometimes it helps a guy just unlock something, where if he hits the first one or two, he really feels comfortable. And an example of that on Saturday was Terrence Ford for Arkansas State, who ended up five of five from three. And I don't know that he took one in the second half. Maybe he took one, but he really got going in the first half and they really shot it well in the first half as a team from three. And they're not a particularly great three point shooting team. And they cooled off a good bit in the second half, but the damage was kind of done because it was a ball game. And they started pushing it inside more and having success and getting some second chance opportunities. And it was just, it, it has been the offense that's been the problem more often than not, but there have been some games here in conference play where the defense has really let them down. And Saturday was a very clear opportunity that was missed because of the play of the defensive end. Which is not something that we've experienced a lot with this team. And I mean, like I've said it before, when the offense feels like it's been there, the defense has let them down. When the defense has, you know, really shined in some games, the offense just hasn't been there. It's been really tough to kind of peg down exactly what the real problem is. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we're just going to have to see as the defense projects out in the next year, continue, hopefully... <laughs> recovers a little bit over these final couple of games for just pride, if nothing else. But I still think it is a good defensive team. And I think that Jonah has installed some good things defensively in his first year. And that I think it would be aided by a stronger offense. And that's really still the main thrust of what this off season and next uh, fall is going to be about. It's just getting better offensively, getting more talent in this program in that regard. But it would still be a concern I think you might just want to have to chalk it up to you can't have that standard all of the time with the offense being what it is like, you know, it is hard to be that good all the time. You can have off nights. And I think it just, it's jarring because it's been the expectation because of how they played most games. But that doesn't mean that when they have a bad defensive outing, that it's like condonable. It's just, I still have a hard time making a big deal about the defense because it has been pretty solid do average above average for most of the season. It's just in this game and the ODU game on the road and against Marshall to a degree, although again, Marshall's a good team. So some of that was just Marshall defense recently has had some iffy games and it's been the difference. I mean, so where does that leave us now? Um, Obviously, Talking about the rest of the Sun Belt because it's, I don't know, it makes you feel left out, but also it's less sad talk. Right. It's 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 tough. You know, you want to be, you know, making a, a run like South Alabama is making right now, kind of like what Georgia State's done the last couple of years. Um, 
but you know it's it's weird seeing everybody else on top of them like i don't like this yeah and it you know the first thing is and arkansas state is a tiebreaker right now and so i put a tweet out saying this uh on saturday that Georgia State has to better Arkansas State in this week of games to avoid being last place. And then they're pretty much stuck at either 13 or 14 because Coastal has a two-game lead on them now and has the tiebreaker, I believe. So Coastal would have to lose out and Georgia State would have to win out to get to 12. Um, I still think it would make a difference, but Arkansas State plays at the Louisianas this week, so... Not a terrible outcome. They're not a terrible odds that they could go 0 and 2 in that stretch, which would mean Georgia State would have to win one of these games to get to 13th. But like you say, it's just completely foreign for us to be talking about this. I mean, even kind of the down year after the tournament team, they were still not in double digits. And there were less teams in the Sun Belt then, but it still felt different. It felt like kind of an off year. This has felt like obviously a lot worse than kind of an off year. And we look forward to next year talking about Georgia State being in the mix with the top, which has been a really good, I mean, we've talked about it a couple of times when we've talked about the rest of the conference. It's been a really solid top of the league this year, and it's going down to the wire where it's not super likely that James Madison can win the Sun Belt, but they can still win the regular season title. It's probably going to be Southern Miss or Marshall, and Southern Miss has the head up, but I guess you look at it right now with tiebreakers factored in three of the four new schools are the top three teams in the basketball. And especially as far as Southern Miss is concerned, that was not the expectation coming into the year. Um, everyone was kind of coming in off of down years that came into the Sun Belt, And it, ODU is maybe a little bit like a tier below, but still having a, a, a better year than they had last year. And the other three have, taken real steps up from where they played in 2022. And it's kind of weird because, you know, the quote unquote blue bloods of the Sun Belt of the, you know, the teams that have been around the top the last few years, Louisiana is really the only one that's, you know, in competition with those newcomers. Like those newcomers kind of came in and said, all right, Georgia State, Texas State, sorry about you, but you know, we're here. South Alabama's like kind of inching their way to the top and they're, you know, they're on a nice little run here, but it's really just been Louisiana that's ran with Southern Miss and Marshall the whole year. Yeah, and you mentioned them a couple times now, and I feel like we should give them a little bit of air because South Alabama right now, they're not just on a roll. They're hammering teams. They beat Southern Miss by 31. They followed it up by beating ULM 81-45 on their senior day. They took a while to get going, and this is sometimes the formula for these Richie Riley teams where they start gelling later in the year. They were doing it the year that the COVID canceled the tournament that I feel like they would have had a decent chance of winning if it had gone all the way through. And since then, they haven't really found that. And it seems like they are peaking at exactly the right time. They're going to be a dangerous quarterfinal if they can get to that point for one of the top four teams. Because you know, looking at the way that the, schedule, the permutations of where they could end up, they're sitting there in seventh right now in a tie. They can't get into the top four, so they won't get a bye to the quarterfinal. So no matter what, if they get there, it's going to be Southern Miss or Marshall or JMU or Louisiana's job to deal with them. And that's going to be a tough ask because 
you know, the metrics support this. They're playing just as good as anyone in the conference right now. They have moved themselves way up in a lot of estimations um, in the underlying numbers. And they are going to be a trendy dark horse pick for Pensacola right now because they're playing really good basketball exactly when you want to be. They certainly are. And I mean, I, I will say it is unfortunate that Georgia State is not going to be, um, let's say, the favorite in Pensacola. But I'm really excited for the tournament this year. I feel like this is going to be, there's still going to be some really good basketball played. And, you know, should Georgia State not make it that far, it'll be very low stakes, low pressure basketball that we get to enjoy. Sorry if that makes me, you know, a hater who doesn't mind their failure or whatever. Yeah, I mean, if you can get to the point where you're watching as a neutral, like you say, it's going to be a good guaranteed those four teams. I think it's not necessarily guaranteed, but JMU and or Louisiana would have to lose out and Troy and or Old Dominion would have to win out to have any kind of shakeup at the top four. As long as both of them win their games they're going to be in the quarterfinals. And, you know, that means that those four teams who are the best with South Alabama trending and like getting into that category are only going to have to win two games to get the championship. And so with those odds, it feels pretty good that it's going to be a good championship matchup with two teams that will battle out to be a good representative for the Sun Belt. And, you know, it would be a tremendously bad thing for the Sun Belt as a conference if Georgia State went on a run, even though it would be a tremendously great thing for Georgia State to still make the NCAA tournament. So I think as Georgia State fans listen to this, you might need just need to frame it in the mind that like right now, the down year for Georgia State, they can go on a run. It'd be a hilarious story. It would be certainly unexpected. And in the year where they're down, it seems like the Sun Belt is still poised to take a step up in perception and you can at least roll with that. And then next year, the plan is going to be to get back on track and join that fray. And there's a fair amount of shaking up that's going to happen in the off season, I think. So I don't know how sustainable these teams at the top necessarily are going to be, because I think a handful of them are going to lose some really good players. And so there's going to be room. It's not like this is like the core for all these teams and it's going to be hard to crack into the top half. I think with some improvement, I think with some injection of talent, Georgia State doesn't have to be this down for that long. They really don't. It, you know, we said it earlier, um, so we don't need to rehash it. But yeah, absolutely could be right back into the thick of things next year. All right. And of course, the regular season for basketball ends this week. Home finale versus Appalachian State at 7 p.m. on Wednesday with the last chance to win a road game this year at James Madison in the last game on Friday. Like last year, the games this week have been moved up by a day to accommodate teams travel to Pensacola, Florida for next week's conference tournament. App is currently sitting 15 and 14 on the season and 8 and 8 in the Sun Belt, which fittingly leaves them in eighth place heading into the final week of the season. There were 71 to 59 winners over the Panthers in Boone on January 26th. As for the Dukes of JMU, they've won three straight to all but guarantee themselves a top four seed and a bye straight to the quarterfinals in Pensacola. They're 20 and 9 and 11 and 5 in conference with an outside shot of winning the regular season title, so they'll have it all to play for Friday in Harrisonburg. They beat Georgia State 63 to 47 in Atlanta on December 29th in each team's Sun Belt opener. 
So gentlemen, thoughts on the final week of the regular season? So I'm going to go change of plans for usual and talk about the second game first because JMU's really good, beat Georgia State by 16 in Atlanta earlier in the year, and they've got a lot to play for. And basically, no matter how you shake it out, like whether if they win their first game, they might still have a chance to finish first. And so obviously in that situation, a lot to play for. And if they lose on their Wednesday game against Marshall, which is a real possibility Marshall's a good team, they might be playing for a top four seed. And so as far as like trying to catch them napping, I don't think you're going to do it. And I don't think you can really project a win on the road there. It would be obviously a nice bonus because you'd find a way against maybe one of your harder games on the road in conference to get a conference road win and a road win on the season overall. But sitting here right now, the way that they've played, I can't sit here and say I would expect that. And I don't think you can catch them. It's going to just come down to catching them on a bad shooting day, whatever. And certainly George State can have a role in that, but I don't really have much to say about that game other than you just kind of hope you could find a way to keep that one competitive and find a way to win it. And so given that, and given that, Things are just going poorly for this program. It's not been the season they've been hoping for. I think you just kind of got to circle the Wednesday home game, your last home game. I don't think you'd really call it senior day because I don't know as of right now that there are any seniors that are going to be honored. If there are, it might be a real indication of who will be starting the uh, exits as the offseason begins. But whatever. For tradition's sake, we'll call it senior day. I think you just kind of got to look at that as your chance to get a win this year because. You might be able to win a game in the first round in Pensacola, but it's not a home game. And this team has still been better than average at home this year, uh, despite all that's gone wrong. And so if you find your way to get one more win this year, feels like the best projectable one. And, you know, in saying that, it's a team that beat you by double digits when you played in Boone. But I still think this week, that's kind of the mantra for me. It's kind of find a way to win the one at home. They should. They should find a way to win the one at home. You know, App State was the last team to hold Georgia State under 60 points. Uh, the offense has definitely looked better since that App State game, despite, um, you know, the results not always being there. Uh, but it would be really nice if Georgia State could come away with a win here, um, play a little mid mid-conference standing spoiler, if you will, because, I mean, I... Doing the quick math in my head, App State cannot get into the top four, but having them at a higher seed in the middle of the conference, I mean, that still kind of matters. Um, I believe we're still doing, um, no, we're not doing host sites anymore, but I mean, you know, finding a way to be the lower seed and you know avoiding certain teams on different sides of the bracket like the all those shenanigans and stuff that teams do like that that all that still matters you know you're playing for pride to a degree but it still matters to some teams um so but with james madison i mean that's tough like you you really wanted georgia state to get a win last week simply because if they don't beat james madison they will go winless on the road this year and i mean yeah they got a nice new convocation center you know that's had a pretty nice home field advantage for them yeah they you know kind of avoided a lot of road games and out of conference but i don't think you can necessarily say that it hasn't been a problem even if it is a fluky problem that they haven't won on the road this year i just i think it is the culmination of all the things that have just been missing with this team teams that can win on the road 
usually they can rely on their shot making because you're usually going to get a better offensive performance from the home team because teams usually perform better in their home gym. And so the fact that Georgia State, like it is hard to win those type of grind them out games on the road. And, you know, you're another part of it is that it's just, it's not an experienced team and guys are taking their lumps in this year, largely and learning together as a group, but it's, it's not a team that's full of seniors and senior teams, experienced teams are do a better job of finding ways to win on the road. And so I'm not ignoring like that if they lose on Friday, that it would be that just an eyesore. And the first time since I think 1983 is the stat um, that they would not run one, a road game. But I think it is just another part of this being a disappointing year and why the team has not, met expectations it's those two big factors that not being able to generate offense not being an experienced group because being better in either of those areas is also what leads you to be better you know win loss record and better on the road and so the best thing you can say is the guys that are back will remember going winless on the road and they'll remember what went wrong and that'll be some lived experience to move towards next season and it'd be nice if just like the first road game next year i don't know who it's going to be against because the schedule's not out but just just win that next year and get that over with quickly yeah you know take somebody out to the watershed or whatever the saying is like that would be that'd be lovely but you know as we look at the app state game as far as just like analyzing it it's kind of the same as what i said when the teams played in boone just you're at home now where you know, they had a better than expected first half offensively. And it was maybe the other game that I didn't mention where offense wasn't so much the problem as it was defense. And App had a really good shooting half that kind of put them in control of that game. And so make sure defense is back as it's supposed to be, but it's going to be an App team that's going to really challenge you defensively. They run kind of the pack line, like what Tony Bennett runs at UVA. And, you know, that is generally about making you beat you from three. And that is taking to bigger levels when the scouting report on Georgia State is this team can't beat you from three. And so it does make the challenge harder that it's a kind of a defense geared to challenge this specific team even more. But I think you're just going to have to hope for, you know, Colin Moore has been a very productive three-point shooter since he has made his return from injury. And, I think you can rely on him if he's open to make some shots. And other guys have had good games. It's just not been maybe as consistent as you would like. And so I think the three-point shooting might tell the tale in this game where if you're able to make more than you've been making in more than a handful of the games this season, have a good chance. And if it's another low percentage from three, then it's going to be challenging because you're not necessarily going to be able to get to the rim as much as you would want to against this app defense. It's just, it's what they are geared to stop you from being able to do. All right, let's go ahead and move on to talk about baseball. Interesting opening weekend for the Panthers, quote unquote, one and three weekend in an opening series versus Cincinnati. After winning Friday's opener 12 to two, the Panthers dropped games on Saturday and Sunday, nine and four and six and four losses respectively. As for the fourth game of the series, the nightcap of Saturday's doubleheader, after a benches-clearing brawl ensued when a Cincinnati fielder took exception to a hard slide by Georgia State's Matt Ruiz, play was suspended, and the result, 
is a double forfeit by both teams, thus a 1-3 weekend for the Panthers. Gentlemen, thoughts on this? Yeah, very weird. And I was at the 9-4 loss on Saturday, not the exciting brawl game, and there was no video to watch. So I was following along as soon as I was clued into something happening uh, by the stat broadcast totally freeze. Like, it was just on end of 7th for forever, and it's like... um, it's not raining outside. Like I'm in Atlanta. The weather's fine right now. And then I pulled up the Cincinnati audio feed and talking about ejections and talking about reviews. And after unpacking all that, like it is definitely a situation that I've never seen in a baseball game. I'm pretty new to the college baseball scene, but it I take it from just everyone's general reaction that I've seen to this, that it's pretty uncommon. And the end result of it is it should have been at least a two and two weekend. And it was a one and three weekend. And even add on top of the fact that you get this game recorded as loss, that Georgia had a lead in when the game was suspended. Cincinnati had 11 players sit out in the Sunday game that did get played. Georgia state sat out 18 players, part of a suspension, because if you leave the bench area in NCAA rules, it is not only an ejection, but you also serve a suspension. And so both teams getting a chunk of their roster suspension out of the way. But in a game that you lost by two and where some bullpen, you know, the bullpen gave up, I think, two different two run leads. Uh, if you had other guys that you were sitting because of that suspension, it affected the rest of your weekend. And so I think it stands out as a weird thing, it stands out as an unfortunate thing because Anytime you don't win a home series in college baseball, it's a real missed opportunity. And even a split would have still felt like that. But because of the forfeit in a game that you were leading, it's now one and three. And that even more stands out. Yeah, it's tough. You know, it's very tough uh, to have a weekend like that. Um, you know, you want Georgia State to play better this year. Obviously, we've talked about how they can, you know, kind of catapult themselves into a very in the, to the top of a very tough conference. Like we know that the Sun Belt is really good for baseball. Um, so when you come out of the gate and you know you're fighting and splitting double headers, but it turns into a forfeit. You know, I think two and two could have looked disappointing, even if we had talked about it last week. Um, it's kind of the same story that it's always been, you know, relying too much on homers, you know, the bullpen, not quite being good enough to get from a decent starting performance just to the end of the game. Um, And it sucks because there's talent. Like we know that there's talent on the team. We know that they have an offense that is a little bit too homer reliant, but they can string hits together and, you know, be a competent offense. We know that there are good relievers in here. And, you know, sometimes guys just don't have it, especially in the colder months. Dare I say that? I don't know what the temperature was this weekend, but, you know. It was 50s. It was sunny, but it was still a little bit cold. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's still cold for baseball. Um, So hopefully, you know, in this series upcoming this week with Brown, it looks a little bit better, you know. You just, you really just want Georgia State to continue to make the strides that we think that they can. That's, that's I feel like we've said that for a couple of sports now, and it's not. Yeah, but here's well, the thing so. that that timeline restarts now. Like that's true. Losing this series is different than Georgia State, you know, losing that final month of the season in football because that was like you had to turn it on at that point. It's different than these last couple of weeks for men's basketball because it's the end of the year. Like. You don't want to ever 
lose three or four at home, especially on a weird technicality like this. But it is the first series of the year. And so there is all the time in the world to turn that around. You're still going to have opportunities in these first couple of weeks to get some wins. But yeah, like you said, a little reliant on the home run ball. And that's not to say that there weren't opportunities. They just, they took some walks. They had, especially in the, the game that I was at, the 9-4 loss on Saturday. They missed on a couple of opportunities in the early innings to add on to a one-run lead. And Cincinnati was able to tie it. And then even after you took a 2-1 lead, it arguably should have been larger than that at that point. And then, like you said, nightmare inning from the bullpen, giving up eight runs. And in a, a game that was shortened by two innings anyway, because it was part of a double header, once you score, the other team scores eight in the sixth, like, you know, at that point, I mean, the lead was bigger than the number of outs you had left. And so that spells out how donning the task would have been for a comeback in that game. So it, I think if they're able to hit better with running the scoring position, just not as many, like they left 37 runners on base in this series. And Cincinnati only lost, left 23 on base. And I'm sure even that number probably is a little too much for their coach, but 37 is too big a number to leave on base. So I don't even think it's a problem of getting into those situations where you can get runners home and just doing something with those opportunities. Weren't able to do it in this weekend, and that was kind of the difference. But in saying that, since he had some good pitching, you know, their starters were able to give them some good innings. The starter on the Saturday game I was at was really pounding the inside corner to lefties and just was commanding his spots. And their big problem last year, Cincinnati, was their pitching. And so they were able to hit last year. They had some good hitters. It was just especially the bullpen, but just the, the pitching in general for them was not as strong. And so maybe this is something they were able to target in the offseason. And maybe in the long run, this series turns out to be more about Cincinnati being improved. But I think that you got to look at this as, all right, don't drop any more home series. And that starts coming up with this next one against Brown. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it is what it is, you know, and first series are tough. Like we know baseball is, uh, you can be good in baseball, but there is still an element of randomness in the sport. Um, so hopefully they can just put the start behind them and, you know, start chalking up some wins. So speaking of this next series with Brown, four more at the GSU baseball complex, in case you want to go and watch versus Brown of the Ivy League. This will be the Bears' first action of 2023 after finishing 13 and 23 last year. This is a noteworthy opponent because NCAA history will be made in this series. Freshman Olivia Pichardo has already become the first woman to be named to a Division I varsity baseball roster and will be the first to enter a game if and when she does so in Atlanta this weekend. So, gentlemen, thoughts on Brown? Yeah, first off, it's a really cool thing. I had heard that that was the case a couple of weeks ago before the season got started, and obviously no guarantee uh, she sees the field in this series. I don't know where she fits in in there, you know, they haven't played yet. So don't know what role she is going to play, but obviously if it happens, um, would be very cool for Georgia state to be a part of the history books in that regard, even though they'd be on the other side of things and, you know, awesome for, you know, she's on a baseball team. That is really cool. You know, I, I don't know what we can really say about Brown, as a team outside of, you know, delving into their history last year, but this is a really cool moment for the NCAA and just the sport of baseball in general at any level, you know, like 
the inclusivity of baseball is definitely something you know near and dear to my heart um so this is this rocks like i'm I'm excited to see what she does i hope you know she goes off but georgia state still gets four wins um if she does see the field but it's it's a good thing that we're having you know people of all different walks of life playing the game that you know that we love yeah and then just putting a bow on the other thing you mentioned there I feel like that is kind of the outcome you're hoping for is that this is a team that was 13 and 23 last year, uh, new year, new players in who knows what they are show in 2023, but it's a home series. They are traveling from up in Rhode Island. Um, and I, you know, three of four, I feel like would be the bare minimum. And if they're splitting this or losing this series, it would be m- more of a cost of concern for me. Um, but if they found a way to sweep it and got above 500, then it kind of almost feels like it writes the entire wrong of what could have been improved from this opening series. And of course, can't get you out of here without talking about everything going on in Georgia State Athletics this week. And uh, last week's episode, we did talk about the events happening today as of the release of this podcast on Tuesday. So just a quick refresher, uh, Women's Track and Field Sunbelt Conference Indoor Championships currently happening in Birmingham, Alabama. Men's golf at the Wexford Intercollegiate in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and women's golf at FAU in Boca Raton, Florida. Coming up on Wednesday, of course, we've got men's and women's basketball, women heading to Conway, South Carolina to face Coastal Carolina, and the men hosting Appalachian State in the Convocation Center for the final home game of the 2022-2023 campaign. Thursday, softball hosts California Baptist in Atlanta, and then, oh boy, Friday and Saturday are densely packed with stuff for pretty much anything you can imagine. Beach volleyball travels to Jacksonville, Florida for the Jacksonville Invitational. Softball hosts the Panther Invitational at the Bob Hex Softball Complex with uh, Western Carolina, Northern Iowa, and Tennessee State taking part in that. Panthers will be in action later in the afternoon on that one at uh, 3 p.m., 5.30 p.m., playing uh, Northern Iowa and Tennessee State on Friday. Then we also have men's tennis hosting Presbyterian in Atlanta. Beach volleyball also playing Charleston at 2 p.m. And then baseball, of course, the first game of that four-game series with Brown at 3 p.m. over in Panthersville. And then women's basketball hosts Georgia Southern in their home uh, final game of the season in the Convocation Center at 6.30 p.m. While men's basketball travels to Harrisonburg to face James Madison at 8 p.m., both the men's and the women's basketball games will be on ESPN+, and the men will be on WRASFM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. And then on Saturday, the Panther Invitational continues with the uh, ladies playing softball versus Western Carolina and Northern Iowa at 3 p.m. and 5.30 p.m. respectively. That two games of uh, the series versus Brown for baseball at 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. for a doubleheader. Beach Volleyball plays PBA and Tampa in the Jacksonville Invitational at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. respectively. And then on to Sunday, softball has, again, closing games of the Panther Invitational. Uh, They will play at 12.30 p.m. against Tennessee State. There's also a game at 10 a.m., which is Western Carolina versus Northern Iowa. And then baseball has the final game of their series versus Brown at 1 p.m. And then Monday, women's golf travels to Covington, Louisiana, to the Chifuncta Invitational, where they will spend Monday and Tuesday. And then on Tuesday, softball travels to Alabama State in Montgomery, Alabama. Women's tennis plays at Kennesaw State. 
and baseball plays at Alabama State. So the baseball game is going to be at 6 p.m., women's tennis at 2 p.m., softball is listed as TBA. So that is everything going on for, that. I guess, the next eight days in Panther athletics. So lots of opportunities to see the Panthers in action. Go out, catch a game, follow along online or whatever have you. And if we don't see you at one of these, have a fantastic week. Stay safe, and we'll see you in the next episode. Go Panthers.